Good morning. Hope you guys can hear me. Hi, Sarah. Sarah, she has a 6 p.m. start tonight. Oh my God, Sarah, <laughs> you should have taken today off. What do well, you this is like, no, I'm, this is great. I have this, I have a call at nine and then I don't have anything. And it gives me something to do with all of this energy. And, but I'm going to be off my feet and like, you know, I'm not a good napper, so I won't be able to sleep, but I'll be like resting and trying to figure out what to eat. Are you going for a hundred miles? Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going for like whatever. I did, I just don't know what the conditions and yeah. it's like you know, it's icy and snowy and whatever. So I just sort of want to like have a consistent day and feel like I put it all out there for the whole 24 hours. And that's sort of where I'm at with it, but I don't have any solid numbers attached to it. I think that's good. I yeah, think that it's healthy. it's really it's steep and I it, there could be like yak tracks involved. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's like 1500 feet per loop and each loop is seven miles. So it gets, it'll be a lot of game by the end of that. Is this that like Mount Sinitas thing? No, it's um, running up for air. Like the thing Brian did. Okay. You just like lap. uh, Yeah. Any hill? Which it's, it's, it's Staunton State Park. Yeah. Yeah, there's like no mountain locally that would accommodate the race and the typical run up for air style where you would do a peak and back down. So it's just a loop where you get some good gain, but it's just a random loop. It's done. So it counts. Yep. <laughs> We're excited. If you guys haven't already, shameless plug, um, donate because one of the reasons Sarah is doing that, in addition to the fact that she, a thing I love about her as an athlete is she's undyingly curious about race formats and like her potential at longer races, 24 hour races, kind of more like time controlled efforts and less like specific distances, which I think is so cool. Um, uh, but she's raising money for protect our winters as well, which has a lobbying body that advocates for clean air legislation in Colorado and around the world. So drop a couple of dollars in her fundraiser. There's a link on the Facebook page and I can drop a link in the chat too, but they're a super great organization. They do a lot of really powerful, powerful advocacy work, um, activating outdoor athletes in the climate space. We do love POW, Andrew. Um, and you get to cheer Sarah on. And I'm only 60 bucks from my goal. So I'm really close to my goal. And I would love to hit that finish line well ahead of my 24 hour finish line. Heck oh my yes. gosh. Can we put a link to oh yeah. We're dropping for it. Sarah's donations We're a link. right in there? We can hit, make that $60 goal happen. We can do that right now. Welcome oh, to our so NPR close. membership drive call. There's the link. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Awesome. Yeah, I would encourage you guys to donate uh, a few bucks if you can. Um, cool. Well, I guess maybe we'll we'll roll into uh, why we've got you here, Sarah. Maybe we'll talk about we'll start with our mental training topic for the week, um, which I think is really funny. And Zoe and I had a joke about uh, this morning. Um, but uh, yeah, it. Uh, I did not make this up. (laughs) Sometimes we'll answer questions on the call where it's like, how did you know? Can you guys read my mind? Uh, This was one I I thought, I straight up thought TJ made it up because I had been struggling with it. But I thought he just wanted me to like, I don't know, therapize myself with an audience. No, I would never. You can do that in the privacy of your own therapy (laughs) sessions. Um, yeah. Do you have any tips for setting ego aside when a friend or partner who just started at your sport begins to do better than you at it? Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. Do you have tips? <laughs> do I have any tips? I'm not sure. Sarah, I'm going to go to you. Uh, I'm going to start with you on this and see where you take us. You know, I would start with like allowing yourself to feel whatever is coming up first. If it's whatever it is, right. If it's jealousy or, you know, and and uh, I'll do a shameless plug. Brene Brown has this new book out um, where she goes through 83, 87 emotions. 
and describes them and like really like differentiates between jealousy and envy. Mm. And so, you know, as you learn those differences, then you begin to ask yourself those questions about your own feelings, which like allows you to sit with the feeling longer with curiosity and like non-judgment. Cause you're like, Oh, is this envy? Is this jealousy? Right. So I highly recommend that book. And like, looking at your feelings through those lenses, like with that curiosity and just um, love and compassion and just like, yeah, it's hard and acknowledging that. And just like, there's nothing wrong with feeling a little bit frustrated and, you know, but I think the important thing is to remember that we, our identity is not tied to our running. So like sometimes that like, if they're better at me at this thing, that's my thing, then am I not good? Right. And it's just like running is our hobby. It's a part, it's a thing that we do, but it isn't us. It's not our identity. So separating those two things and remembering that. Um, And then, yeah, just, you know, trying to let go of comparison as much as possible. And remember that this is your own journey and your, their experience does not in any way take, does not take anything away from your experience. So they like, it just, it's its own totally separate, different thing. So just enjoy your own journey and don't worry about theirs. Yeah. I feel like, um, a lot of great tips there, Sarah, but like when it comes down to the act of like embracing your own personal journey and all of the amazingness that that is kind of independent of somebody else's, a friend, a partner who is doing something similar to you. I think that can be like easier said than done, right? Because I think if we refer back to the the call about finite and infinite, infinite mindset, we all have this tendency to kind of cling on to more finite things in our lives. That's that's really normal. Um, but again, like that comparison trap is a big, is a big part of finite games. Um, and so I feel like as human beings, we often like kind of get pulled into that, like, oh, well, there's Zoe doing it again, being really great at writing and I suck at it. What the hell? And it's, so it's like, one of those things where it's like you get pulled, you, you know, you get kind of pulled in that direction. And even if you start to recognize it, I think sometimes, um, you know, again, I guess I'll plug mindfulness. Um, I think that's kind of like my Swiss army knife of dealing with all of these things um, that kind of come up. Another plug. Uh, fun fact, Sarah just has a new mindfulness um, web or a uh, course that came out on her website. So if you're someone who's looking for an athlete and a runner specific approach to mindfulness, you can get that um, on Sarah's website and I'll drop a link in the chat. Oh, nice. Yeah, definitely do that. Um, There's a discount for microcosm athletes too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 20% off. So. Oh, that's great. One of the few things we like unconditionally endorse is mindfulness. What are you doing? I'm trying to find the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Sarah, I don't know if you can mention, like, kind of come in with some more, like, tangible tips. Like, for example, like, if I find myself kind of gravitating towards that, like, side of, like, oh, wow, I am really comparing myself to another athlete who's a friend of mine who's, like, got some crazy talent for running and they're just crushing it already. And I, I feel things like, what are some things that I can kind of do in the moment that like might help me like break out of that cycle that can be created in those situations? Yeah. Well, you know, I think for, like you said, like the mindfulness piece, right? Like very first is the awareness. So like the earlier that you can catch yourself in that process and like stop those thoughts uh, and intervene, the, you know, you can keep yourself from like going deeper down the, the hole. Um, so yeah, I think like having awareness, um, and then, and you talking about it or journaling. So again, it's like about, I think the big thing is turning towards the feeling as opposed to away from it. So because that feeling of the envy or jealousy or insecurity or, 
whatever um, is uncomfortable, we then try to distract ourselves from it or tell ourselves it's a stupid feeling and we're being bad for having it. And why can't we just like be more mature? And so then we don't um, let ourselves sit with it and explore it and, and really reflect on it because we're embarrassed with ourselves that we even have it. We feel shame for even having the feeling because we know better. Right. Um, and so the thing that I would do first is to like acknowledge it. So maybe talk to somebody, maybe journal, um, just like put words to it. Like, what is this that I'm feeling? Like what, you know, what did I notice? So just giving space for it can be enough processing, right? Like that can be enough to make it a manageable thing. Cause as soon as you give it a name and you're like, this is what this is, then instead of this big, scary thing that's happening in the background. It is a thing that I can respond to and address and talk about and think about. But when we don't allow ourselves to tune into the feeling and we ignore it and distract ourselves, then it stays nebulous instead of something that we can address. So I think, yeah, that would probably be my, my thing would be like, explore it and sit with it and don't feel shame about it. Recognize it as a natural response and learn from it. Something that's been helpful for me in encountering this is like when a really challenging emotion comes up around something, like I'm able to turn to TJ and or someone else that I feel safe and comfortable talking to and be like, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling jealous. And the story that I'm telling myself about this is blank. Like we, one of the ways this came up for me lately is we both have started cross-country skiing lately and for a couple weeks, I was taking lessons and practicing like a couple hours a week, felt like I was getting like pretty proficient at it. And I was like excited to take TJ out and like show him proficiency at skiing. And that's just like not what happened. And TJ was also really alarmingly good at it right off the bat. And a lot started coming up for me around like my capability as a partner, as an athlete, this like micro incident became a referendum on like who I was as like a winter mountain athlete. And that was really hard for me. So I had to just like kind of take a pause and tell TJ, like, this is how I'm feeling. Here's how that feeling fits into this larger narrative. Sometimes I struggled with telling myself about like what kind of athlete I am, what kind of person I am, how other people see me. And here's why something that probably doesn't, wouldn't seem like a big deal to like anyone else feels like a really big deal to me and being able to contextualize it in a way that is kind of more neutral and expresses again, like where it fits into the narrative um, was really helpful for me. Yeah, I, Zoe, and I think you did a really good job kind of um, leaning into the feelings. Like Sarah mentioned, you know, we wanna kind of like, don't turn away from what you're feeling. Um, it's more beneficial to lean into it. We're ultra runners, we're comfortable being uncomfortable. This is just another opportunity for you to exercise that same kind of skill and sit with those things, explore it, and then externalize. Um, and I think that, yeah, in like those situations with you and I, yeah, you did a great job of externalizing it. I think um, it takes a lot of I think self-awareness and, and also courage and confidence to get vulnerable with those externalizations um, because it can be really hard to admit like, hey, here's how I'm feeling. Like this is something that maybe there's some stigma around. Like it doesn't sound probably great to say these kind of things. Like, yeah, I think particularly with harder emotions or like I know something that has come up a lot is with like really awesome women that I'm friends with or work with will be like, man, I was really struggling with jealousy and I feel so bad saying that because I'm supposed to just be unconditionally supportive of other women. And like you can both be very supportive of other women and experience um, human emotions like those things are very compatible and very normal and they come up all the time. And I think that if you're not able to really lean into those feelings and name them, then it kind of makes your support less authentic. Um, you're allowed to be really happy for people and have your own complicated feelings and work through them. And then hopefully on the other side, there's a more authentic recognition of, you know, how you feel and like what your relationship with that person is. And I think that that's something that like, 
our culture has maybe not enough space for both saying like, you can be really happy for someone and also have more than one feeling about it too. And like, that's okay. Totally. And I think that it's important to, to kind of like recognize that. Um, and then to try not to <clears throat> categorize like what you're feeling, like this is a bad emotion to feel. I feel jealous. That's mm. bad. Like in society, we feel like jealousy is a bad thing and I can't be feeling this way. Mm. You know, I think it's important to try to, to take those labels and, and just discard them and rather like, this is something that I feel. Yeah. It's called jealousy or this is something how I feel. It's called resentment, but nothing more than that. Um, and I think it is the point of like neutrally recognizing what you're feeling and identifying if that's a, an emotion you want driving the car. Like I'll feel jealousy. I'll feel resent resentment. I'll feel some negative things. I'll say like, yes, you're feeling this. This is what's happening. Now that you've identified it, you can make sure that that's not the feeling that's like making decisions for you. Yeah. Um, there's one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, that I didn't, hear Sarah mention or you Zoe mention, but also kind of, um, and I'm not sure if this is something that would be considered effective or not, but also kind of trying to approach these situations like really logically, like what's the expectation that we have going into the situation, trying to look at things uh, maybe from a broader, more zoomed out perspective. In, for, in the example of like Zoe and I cross country skiing together, I think Zoe had an expectation and when that expectation wasn't met, it cr created a conflict. Um, and so sometimes, you know, when zooming out a little bit, you might be like, well, actually, you know, TJ might not have cross country skied ever in his life, but he's been on skis for 33 years. So maybe he's going to get this faster than I think. Yeah, I think sometimes logic can become just like a bludgeon we beat ourselves over the head with and is often not the best tool to meet our feelings with. In my experience, it can be different for other people. And there's definitely other times where like zooming out using logic can be helpful, but I really feel like in the moment with that scenario, or with a lot of times like logic is not what I need most in the moment. Logic can lead to judgment around like why I'm feeling a certain way, as opposed to just saying like, yeah, here's how I feel. Like, I understand that that's maybe not a reasonable expectation, but that's not going to change that I have an emotional response to it. Like feelings don't always respond to logic. So sometimes trying to out logic them um, is not super effective, I find. And sometimes can be Again, different for everyone, but I think that sometimes logic gets wielded more as a tool of self-judgment than of like reconciling with emotion. Okay. I think yeah, it can be really that? helpful. Like I think in the moment when we're having, when we're really in an emotional place, we're really moving from that like sympathetic nervous system sort of place. Like it's best to just be in the body and like, yeah, be emotional in that space. And then later when we're feeling calm and we have some perspective on the situation, then to use some of that logic to help us like with an overall view of how it went, you know, and like moving forward. But I think in the moment, yes, logic can be really, um, you know, when we're our sympathetic nervous systems engaged, we're not able to access our prefrontal cortex. And so we're anything that feels logical is actually not actually using all of your brain, right? It feels logical, but it's like absent of some critical parts of your brain. So it's not the time to engage in, in the logic portion, I think. Yeah, totally. And I think that's definitely really individualized. And like, again, like uh, what I hear from Zoe is like, she has an awareness around what kind of helps break those cycles in the moment and what maybe it would actually perpetuate the cycle. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's really awesome. Um, and so when you've kind of gone through these things, then you've taken that step back, then you're able to, I don't know, analyze how it went, what happened, you kind of develop that tool set, right? So um, then when these things happen again, you're better able to um, intervene more or less with your own kind of <clears throat> thought process. And kind of when I hear you mention like the, the different kind of nervous system reactions that that are kind of taking place in these moments, I think it's really interesting, you know, that you mentioned like 
kind of in these moments where we're really engaged in like over comparison. And then we have all that thought process going on in our minds um, that that really can be driven by the, the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and so, you know, I, again, just plug mindfulness meditation and the importance of those practices, um, you know, some four, seven, eight breathing or, or box style, like visualization breath work can really help to just kind of like lower the temperature a little bit in a situation um, where you're feeling like that, you know, you could be out there skiing like with Zoe and I, or you could just be like dealing with that because you're like looking at someone's profile on Strava. Um, and when you start to feel the temperature rise and you kind of like are getting used to feeling what those kind of like the symptoms of having like a stress response are, you can also, um, yeah, kind of like intentionally intervene in that situation and be like, I'm going to take a few deep breaths. Like I'm going to try to regulate my breath a little bit. Um, and that can really help to get you back into a more relaxed state. Um, I would definitely recommend that's something that uh, is a strong tool for me and I know works for other people too. Um, and there was one more piece to this that I, I wanted to mention um, before we move on. And that's, you know, this part of the comparison trap when we're looking at somebody versus another person, me versus Zoe, Zoe versus whatever it is. Um, I think it's important, again, try to, if you can, maybe later on after kind of you've worked through, done some of the externalization, um, you've kind of turned towards those feelings, maybe then try to embrace that idea of curiosity again. Um, you know, this is something that we mentioned in the past call, you know, and I had that illustration with Coach Drew and he's running all these miles and I'm like, wow, I can't run 80 miles a week. What's wrong with me? But Coach Drew can, and I'm getting jealous of that. But really, you know, asking some reaching out or asking some questions, being curious rather than shifting it to a referendum on, you know, who I am could be much more effective. Like, Drew, what are some of the things that you're able to do that help you, you know, run the way that you run? Like, what are some of the habits? What are some of the preparation? Like, just getting curious with it. Like, oh, how come... TJ, you're able to, to ski so well, but you've not practiced this discipline a lot. Like what are some of the, like getting curious with it, asking questions, trying to just shift the narrative from this like thing of like, I'm jealous or resentful of what you're doing to like more of like, I'm just curious, like, how are you able to do that? That's cool because I kind of look up to you um, as well. And trying to just like make that narrative more forward looking um to make it more of an infinite game where we're talking about like perpetuating this this process of growth rather than taking these steps back yeah i feel like again kind of on the other hand like that's one great way and like depending on what your needs are and who you are as a person it's going to change but like for me again getting that more external information is not always helpful in turning every feeling into a fact-finding mission not always super helpful what has been really helpful for me is getting curious about like what specific scenarios lead me to be more susceptible to challenging feelings of jealousy or comparison. And for me, it's being curious about like, oh, when I feel vulnerable about my own work or when I feel underappreciated or when I feel I'm plateauing athletically or I'm regressing athletically, that those are the feelings that leave me more vulnerable to these traps where logic is not going to be the answer to get myself out of them. So if I can be curious about the situations in my own life and in my own emotional landscape, that lead towards this, um, then that's really helpful for me because I would just, from my perspective, I would not always feel safe or excited to reach out to someone I felt jealous of to like get more information from them. Um, but it has been really helpful to be like, okay, Zoe, let's get curious about why this is coming up for you now, because there are times when I don't struggle with comparison at all. And I feel like a total boss and I'm very uninterested in what anyone else is doing. But then when I feel vulnerable and I feel like I'm not getting the recognition I want or the, I'm not seeing the progress I'd like to see, those are the kinds of circumstances that open me up to falling into these traps more easily. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome, Zoe. Well, let's shift the, uh, the conversation a little bit, get the other coaches involved here. 
um, our, our training topic of the day, uh, process-oriented goals. Um, it's been a while since we've kind of taken a deep dive on this. We've kind of talked about it being part of the infinite mindset. We've talked about it as being really important um, and integral to running a successful race. Um, but like, what are they? Um, how do we, uh, why are they important? How do we choose them? Um, how do we create them? How do we put them into action? Um, all this kind of stuff um, is gonna be super, super important. And Zoe's left before she could define process oriented goals. <laughs> what are you doing? What was wrong with that one? I have a straw, but it got clogged. Oh, I can't no. drink my smoothie. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, let's just kind of start at the beginning. Zoe, I feel like you've got a, a strong definition for what a process-oriented goal is. Do you think you could lay one out for us? Yeah, a process-oriented goal is a goal that foregrounds the process of how you're going to achieve a certain thing. So rather than saying, I want to run a five-hour 50K, the process-oriented goal would be to, you know, for, I mean, it could, you would have several process-oriented goals, would be to um, move well through terrain, not linger at aid stations, eat 400 calories an hour, drink to thirst, smile at everyone I pass. So kind of what I'm, I'm I guess. Because I'm like hearing... saying, I want to run a five hour 50 K is kind of like, well, you will, or you won't like, what's your roadmap? You know, right. it's like saying, I want to go to California and then doing nothing to like book a flight, book a Airbnb. You're just focused on the outcome, but you have no roadmap. You have no mechanism for getting there. So really they're kind of the small, the small waypoints, the small guideposts that you're using in route to something larger. Correct. And research shows that process-oriented goals are more effective than outcome-oriented goals because they're a little bit less black and white. So like, let's say again, your goal is to run a five-hour 50K. As soon as you see that like maybe that's not going to happen on your watch and you're doing the math in your head you might inadvertently give yourself permission to stop trying because it's become black and white, pass, fail. And if you're going to fail, you might as well just fail big, right? And it starts to give your brain permission to not get vulnerable and to like, to quote Molly Seidel, like stick your nose in it. And that's not very helpful, right? So like setting up a framework that encourages you to stay engaged for the entirety of the competition will actually result in a better outcome. Yeah. In a goal that is less focused on a specific outcome typically will result in a better outcome. I like that. So kind of the importance of these one, they're guideposts. It kind of helps to create that roadmap from point A to point B. If the end goal, the big performance goal is running a 50 K in a certain amount of time, we're going to put together the kind of small steps that keep us engaged at a micro level in that process throughout the entire duration of that event. They kind of keep us from overthinking about the bigger picture, the totality of um, the goal in which we're trying to accomplish. And um, yeah, it's much easier uh, mentally, I think, than that, that pass-fail mentality of like, I'm either running a six-hour 50K or I'm not running a six-hour 50K. Um, Kristen uh, or, or Kylie, I'm just curious, kind of like what your process is with, um, yeah, just in your own training um, in racing, creating those, those process-oriented goals for, for yourselves. Yeah, um, I think when, when I start any training block, I'll, you know, kind of sit down and talk with my coach about what my pie-in-the-sky goals are, right? Like, I want to run a sub four-hour 50K, for example. So in order to get there, you have to like build the habits that will help you get there. You can't just say, I want to do this thing and start training with no guidance um, and no, no guardrails around it. Right. And so I think a lot of times um, setting up those sort of like landmark check-ins along the way is really important for me so that I can see my progress and even if I don't see the progress I want, I still know that I'm making, like I'm still stacking those bricks, right? 
Um, and so one thing that I have learned recently from like a, a little bit of an injury scare this week is that no matter, no matter what you're doing, whether, you know, it, it's, uh, running, or if you have to get on a bike or you have to do yoga or whatever it is like continuing to move every day, continuing to like build the foundation, regardless of how you do it is still making progress. And I think one thing that I saw recently was about, um, I think Candace Burt posted it, but it was kind of about like expanding your timeline. So if there's any sort of setback in relation to your goal or training, um, just having the, the mindfulness and the self-awareness to adjust your timing. So, you know, no, I'm not going to hit 60 miles this week, but I am biking a lot more type of thing. So just giving yourself a little leeway, a little grace, um, and not being afraid to take a step back when you need to. So I think with all of that said, like, I think, you know, 10 weeks from now, I'll look back at this week and be like, wow, I really needed that week to just take a step back and chill in order for me to get to my goal. Um, so just kind of trying to reframe it a little bit into a more positive, uh, positive, uh, affirmation that like, I'm still doing everything right. Just because I got injured doesn't mean I'm not doing my training correctly. It doesn't mean I'm not doing enough, you know, like I'm doing plenty and my goal is still my goal and it will stay my goal. But I know now that like more physical therapy has to happen, more hip flexor strengthening has to happen. And so I'm just adding those into the training to like the landmark blocks to get to said goal. Yeah, that's awesome. And I like how you're kind of bringing the process oriented goals into your like daily and your weekly training, because that's something that really successful athletes do quite naturally. Um, being able to contextualize things in that way, being able to shift kind of the, um, the narrative that's happening, especially when you're kind of dealing with the uncertainty of an injury, you know, re remembering like small steps add up. And so it's the same, whether you're, you're racing or whether you're in training, you're shifting from running to being on the bike. That's still, you're engaging your aerobic system. You're still putting that time in. Those are all small steps that you're doing uh, that help keep you engaged in, in that daily process and in the moment. And that's, that's huge. That's what process oriented goals are all about. Kylie, I'm, I, I'm, my whoop score still tells me I'm overstraining. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe time to get, take the whoop off for a while. I did that I when I so. was injured and, and that really helps. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kylie, I'm curious, like, I know you do a lot of this with your nutrition clients. What's kind of the, yeah, just like your perspective on process oriented goals and, um, yeah, like creating them. How are you using them in your own training and with your clients? Yeah, I think um, for some people, they actually have a lot of difficulty with process-oriented goals. Um, they want, they think they want just information and the studies and the education. Um, and the problem is, is that there is no, they don't know how to implement um, that information or um, maybe it's a training program, et cetera. Like we can, we can write training programs for athletes, but there's still going to be athletes that have a hard time implementing that. And so process oriented goals can be a way to kind of figure out, okay, why are you not getting in your training or why are you, are you able to incorporate uh, 30 more grams of protein every day? And if not, why is that? How can we fix that? Et cetera. And so, um, it's really interesting for me, um, when, and, and I don't know if there is a gender difference, but when, with my male athletes, sometimes they have a harder time with, um, implementing these process oriented goals. Um, and I have to kind of like take them back and I explain to them, you know, why are we taking this step by step? Why are you trying to get this momentum going, et cetera. Um, and for my own training, I just try to, um, you know, I've been working through an injury for the last couple of years and I honestly just take things like week by week, day by day, and just, um, kind of 
make it a priority to get done what needs to get done um, throughout that process. And I'm not necessarily looking towards like six months from now when I have this race on the calendar, because <laughs> I know that it's going, the things that I'm doing on the day-to-day -day are going to get me to that end goal if I'm doing it in an intelligent way. Um, realizing that some process-oriented goals might have to change along the way too. So kind of like Kristen was saying, if you get injured, you know, you might have to adjust those process-oriented goals. Um, on the other hand, another example of a process-oriented goal might be, you know, I'm going to focus on my nutrition, practicing my nutrition in my training um, as part of this process so that I can get ready for um, whatever kind of race, um, versus like focusing on, um, you know, some kind of time goal, et cetera. Um, so those kinds of things are what I focus on, what I try to encourage my athletes to focus on rather than always being like, Hey, what about this? Like time, what about a time trial or what about this and that, and, and trying to get them to really dial in some of these bigger picture things as well. Yeah. Goals are not like, you cannot just manifest, right? You can't just say, I want to run a six hour 50 K and by saying it out loud, it'll happen. Right. Like you have to think about what the, like so often I'll have an athlete say, I want to get this time at this race. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do to make it happen? And they're like, uh, 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 and I'm like, so you really just thought that like writing that down was like an actual step towards it. Like it, it is not, <laughs> in fact, it might actually take you further away from it because it allows you to get into that black and white mindset pass fail. So whenever you're thinking, and it's okay to have like a time goal for a race, right? Like I want to finish around this time, but you should use that as a cue to work backwards and figure out what steps you need to take to get there. Um, and you need to create like a, a foundation of smaller process oriented goals to support that goal. Because if you only ever have the like black, black and white, like outcome goal, you have, and you have no roadmap to get there, that's going to be a huge problem. That's awesome. I think, um, I got just so much great perspective from all three of you guys right there, Kylie, there was something that you mentioned, and I just wanted to ask a follow-up question. Um, but you mentioned that like athletes sometimes need help, um, particularly like in the nutrition, uh, like realm, uh, implementing information and and you mentioned that process oriented goals can, they can kind of help create some like insights into, um, I guess like what kind of like, uh, blocks or barriers there could be for that athlete into developing like those smaller habits. Can you give an example of that or, um, yeah, just explain how that like works like more practically. Um, yeah. So I guess one thing that you, well, first off is, is, is identification of like, you know, what are the goals? What are the, you have to identify what the challenge areas are that you're experiencing. Um, and that might involve, um, a deeper look at your personal habits every day. So habits or, um, with food, like writing out food, emotions around food, that kind of thing. And then, um, that can help you identify like when you're trying to make a process oriented goal, what is going to fit best around that particular, um, your lifestyle and like your habits, et cetera. So for example, if you are trying to increase your protein intake, um, by a certain amount every day, um, you could look at your overall intake and you realize, oh, my breakfast and my lunch are pretty light on protein, but dinner, I tend to be pretty good. And I usually always have protein in my snacks. Um, so maybe the best strategy would be to create a goal around getting in more protein at breakfast and lunch. And then even more specifically thinking about what could then be the sources of protein that you could use. Um, and what would be your ideas for that breakfast and lunch, um, and then kind of making it as specific as possible, um, to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Awesome. And I think that it's important. Um, what you mentioned is really getting down to those specifics and again, like process oriented goals, they're those small, really small things 
that help you accomplish that bigger goal. They keep you grounded in the moment and they all add up, right? So like Zoe mentioned earlier, like, you know, one of her process oriented goals, it's making sure to like move really smoothly through terrain. So like, think about that in the context of your, your upcoming race, you know, it's a technical race. Oh, you've got these challenging scree fields or like these, like class three section where you've got to like do a little bit of like moving through rocks and whatnot and you're up high, whatever it is. Um, when you take that step back and say like, I'm just going to try to move as well as I can through this. It really keeps your mind off of like the clock, you know, technical train, it's slower technical train. You're, it takes longer. Like, those are the things that you could easily, the pitfalls you could get hung up on, or you could be more present by being like, you know, here's my goal. I'm moving smoothly through this, like slow, precise movements yeah. are quicker. Like just trying to ground yourself in that kind of like frame of mind can be really important. Even if it gets down to like super specific, like for me in my races, when I'm climbing, I have that same mentality. It's like, smooth smooth like i never really feel fast when i'm climbing but my focus is like smooth listen to your breath smooth listen to your breath and just like continue to reinforce that idea and then like all of a sudden you know you've gotten up that climb and you feel really good and then you're finally getting the rewards of the downhill um without making it a referendum on your like how that race is going in relation to your goals and that's a goal that goal specifically move well through terrain has been successful for me because even though you're like, well, that's super abstract. What does that even mean? Being able, having a cue to shift my focus away from like when I'm in technical terrain or going uphill, a lot of times when my expectations of how fast I should be moving doesn't match what I'm actually doing, that causes me to actually slow down and feel worse and perform worse. So shifting my mind mindset towards one of like, just move well, right? Like shifting the focus away from the outcome actually is what facilitates a better outcome. Absolutely. And I think something that's really important when we're considering like creating these goals, whether they're in a training context, trying to stay grounded in the training process and get those, those daily, you know, stay on track with our daily goals, or if it's in the context of a race, um, kind of something that I've seen across like, all of our coaches and many of the athletes that I have been prompting to create process oriented goals um, is that those process oriented goals really need to like reflect important parts of your identity, your value system, things that like really mean something to you. So something that I've heard a lot from Zoe is like one of her process oriented goals is to like have this mentality of play out there mm -hmm. to have like to be manufacturing like this joy and this like effortless fun. And when she's in that kind of like process oriented way of, of racing and looking at her, her goals, she tends to do better. And that is something that's successful for her because it relates really deeply to like who she is, who she sees herself, how she sees herself, her values. Um, so yeah, tell me yeah. more about that. I actually feel like most of my goals are super neutral and don't like have zero pressure to like, when I think about my really successful goals are like eat, move well through terrain and like have fun. I actually would say they aren't the way that they function for me is not necessarily a reflection of my core values. That is truly just like, I've identified what things help me perform at my optimum. And one of those things is play and having fun. Like, yes, that is, that does happen to coincide with my, like with some of my values, but it, that's not necessarily why I selected that process oriented goal. I selected it because it does help me perform my best. Right. And I would not do that if it didn't help me perform. I also wouldn't do something that explicitly conflicted with my like core values either, but I do think my goals are a fairly neutral set of prescriptions that I've identified to help me perform my best. Like it's not, it's really, yeah. I mean, and like, I, again, like they are playful, but like, you know, another one of my goals eat 400 calories an hour. That's not a reflection of who I am as a person in any way. And I think that 
it, it, it's just important because it supports the performance I want to have. Totally. And I think some of those, those things can be more practical too. Um, and that's also, you know, really important, especially when it comes to fueling. Um, but what I'm hearing is that there is a correlation between a lot of these things and how you identify yourself as an athlete and your value system, whether you were thinking about that consciously in the process of creating those goals or not really is beside the point. The fact of the matter is that, you know, these small things you're connecting to them out there, they're more, and so therefore they're more easily implementable and they're going to be able to be put into action more easily, probably without the fueling thing. But to be honest, I think that's a reflection of your values too, because if one of your values is to fuel with purpose for the sole point of making yourself perform better, that's because you want to perform better. And that's some, a value that you hold in high regard. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I just feel like the goals are a way of getting to a core value, but I don't necessarily tie them like, because I value competition and I value fun. So what do I need to do to have fun and compete? Right. But like, exactly. I don't really tie my identity to what my process oriented goals are. Those are again, just like I view them and it can function different for other people as a neutral set of prescriptions. What would you then say to an athlete who's struggling to set process oriented goals? Yeah, I would think that a, I would be very curious as to why that's challenging for you. Like, are you someone that engages in the like magical thinking of like, if I put, you know, like I want to run a sub four hour marathon on the schedule, and then you just expect your habits to fall in line with that. I think that that's something to be really curious about. Like, are you maybe doing that as a form of protecting yourself from getting vulnerable and you pick challenging goals without necessarily having the scaffolding to support them and without having the habits to support them? Are you someone who, you know, struggles with bridging the gap between goals and knowledge and actual behavior change? So that's something we see a lot, a lot. Like it's very easy to set a goal. It's very easy to tell your coach you want to run UTMB. It is very hard to make even one behavior change that supports that. Um, so a lot of times people will kind of hobble themselves before they ever get to that point of having to change something about how they live. Um, and I'm sure that this comes up a lot in Kylie's nutrition coaching as well, because food is vulnerable. Athletics are vulnerable. It's really hard to admit that what you're currently doing isn't working. It's very easy to say you want a certain outcome. So I would just be curious about where maybe you're getting caught up and why, um, but I think that it also just takes like really hard work. And that's not always something a coach can do for you. Like when you, again, say like, I want to run a sub 30 hour, um, hundred miler. Again, it's really easy to say that out loud. It takes a lot of work to look at that and to break it down and say, here's what I know I need for myself that will facilitate me making this happen. And it's like, I can tell an athlete to run a sub 30 hour, hundred miler all day, every day doesn't make it happen. Right. What I, the work I cannot do for them is prescribe those process oriented goals. I can suggest some that have been successful for me or other athletes, but it really takes a profound level of self-awareness and it takes trial and error. And a lot of times that is very hard work that athletes are reluctant to do because it involves neutrally critiquing like what has or hasn't worked for you in the past. And I just think that people want a shortcut. They want to be able to say, I want to do this. I want to qualify for Boston. Boom, there, said it, did it, right? And it's like, well, no, you need to spend a very significant amount of time assessing where you're at, where you want to go, and what that delta is that's going to help you get there. And that is not something that can be done for you. And we, you know, people think that it's the coach's job to do that for them. And it's just not because we can't as effectively as you can for yourself. Again, I'm going to go back to the values and identity piece of this. Um, that's what makes it really hard for a coach to say your process oriented goal should be X, Y, and Z, because a lot of these things have to have some personal meaning and, and connection. Um, whether you're looking at it from a very pragmatic, practical sense, like Zoe is as a really competitive athlete, or you're looking at them from a more mindful, mindful perspective. Um, maybe that's the route that I personally choose to take. Um, you know, making those goals 
it's tough. And sometimes they don't work sometimes. And sometimes they do. Um, so it is a matter of a trial and error and taking that first step and being like, you know what, on my long run this weekend, I'm going to say, I'm going to set two process oriented goals for myself. One, I really like the way I feel when I finish my long runs feeling good. So what is something I can do right now? Something really small that helps me achieve that really small goal for a long run. Okay. It's going to be fueling 300 calories an hour and really setting myself up for success with that. I put the timer on my watch. It beeps every 20 minutes and I eat a 100 calorie gel every 20 minutes. I take all of these thoughts about needing to have whole foods and all these other complicated things out of the situation that always cause me to underfuel. And I'm just going to eat my gel every 20 minutes and I'm going to set the watch and I'm going to do that. What's another thing that I can do to help me finish a run feeling good. I'm going to set my watch with another timer one hour. And I'm going to make sure that in that first hour, I'm running two steps slower than easy. So I can really build into my effort and also like really sync up with that 20 minute eating schedule. I'm going to do those two things. Why? Because I like finishing my runs feeling good. That's like, seems really simple, but when I connect it to that larger thing that makes me feel good, that changes my mood. And I make those small goals directly connect to that. It's going to be much easier to achieve those, uh, those small changes. And this is something that like, as a coach, I'm seeing all the time with my athletes. Well, I'm only eating 200 calories an hour. I can't figure out how to change that. Okay, well, we've got to make that build the habit. How do we do that? We'll connect it with a process-oriented goal. We'll connect it to this slightly larger goal, which is to finish the run feeling good. And then we're going to go out there with the sole purpose of achieving that thing. Um, and even if the run doesn't feel that amazing at the end, you've already made a lot of concrete steps right there into setting yourself up for a lot more long runs that feel good in the future. And then when you go to race day and you engage in that same process, you're much more likely to reach your performance goal because you've practiced that so many times before. Um, and I know, you know, like, you can think about these in practical terms. You can relate them back to your identity, your values. I like to envision myself like, um, like what is the ultimate version of TJ, athlete TJ out there at these races? Like, how is he acting? How is he performing? You know, like, so one of my favorite process oriented goals is to like really thank everybody and make it like to thank every volunteer. It's really like a big purpose of mine, focus of mine in these events is to be really grateful because without all that support, the, the stuff is just like not gonna happen. And I see that connectedness between like all of those volunteers, how integral they are in my performance. Um, and I make sure to thank every single person. That's how like I engage in a very small but meaningful way on a very small level um, in the bigger picture of like this larger performance that I'm hoping for. Um, and that connects to my value system, my identity. Um, and that's not as practical as the fueling, but that's okay. You know, like we can mix some of these things together and find out what works. Um, you know, Skylar, he mentions like, um, you know, the trial and error part of this process. It can be really tough, I think mentally. Um, but again, like, as ultra runners, many of us are. And even if we're not ultra runners, we're working towards a marathon or a 5k or our like longest run ever. Um, so much about, of this is like practicing some stuff, taking a step back, being like, okay, here are the things that like worked. Here's what didn't, you know, using Zoe's like rosebud thorn method, I think can be helpful for athletes who are like newer to the sport. A new framework that I've been using in my reviews with people like people that I supervise at outside is start, stop, continue. What are we going to start doing? What are we going to stop doing? What are we going to continue doing? Mm, that's really great. I like mm -hmm. that. I've been using that a lot in my, in my own like writing practice, running practice lately. Yeah. And like, don't be afraid if something didn't work, like 
man, 20, eating every 20 minutes just doesn't work for me. I'm better at just like doing like a bigger calorie bomb every 40 minutes. Hey, I want to see your GI tract. (laughs) Some people, you know, everybody's different. You know, some people like they don't want to eat hundred calories every 20 minutes. They'd rather take 20 minutes to eat the whole gel, whatever it is. Um, and you're, it's funny, Zoe, I see you smiling, but it's true. And you know, cause you've coached so many people, everybody's yeah. process is different. Everybody's and- process is different, but like quick, easily digestible carbohydrates are a superior fuel source. And you're not going to be able to convince me that eating a cliff bar an hour is the way to go. Well, hopefully through the process of trial and error, we will gradually get everybody to <laughs> shift towards that way of fueling as Yes, it might be more effective for most people, but again, like don't get hung up on if something didn't work, use that as an opportunity to say that didn't work. I'm going to try something new next time. Um, I think that's super important. Try to take the self judgment out of it. Like the amount of times that I've gone on a run and tried something and it just gone completely sideways. Um, you know, it sucks in the moment and can't do much to change that in the moment. But later that really allows me to do my next run. Um, yeah, just from a place of higher awareness, um, more expertise, more refinement. And I think those kind of things lead to better performance can all be related back to process oriented goals. If you're setting an outcome goal without process goals, you are not actually setting a goal you are making a wish, which is great. It's fine. You know, toss a coin in a well, it's great. But if you're not actually doing anything about your goal, you are not setting a goal. I would love to get kind of like the final word in the last like three, four minutes from Sarah or or Kylie or Kristen on, on kind of like how process oriented goals have been important to you, you guys in your own um, athletics, not just in your coaching, but in, in your personal like training and racing. Sarah, you just jump back on. Do you want to? Sure. I mean, I think sort of like talking about my race tonight and in some tomorrow, right? Like we were saying at the start, like I don't have an outcome goal. I don't have a number I'm trying to get to or a time I'm trying to get to or like a place that I'm trying to get to because I don't know the conditions and I don't know who else is going to be out there. And, um, and so I'm really focused on, I split the run up into, you know, four, six hour sections. And I'm like trying to wrap my mind around what I'm going to need during each of those periods and what I expect from myself during each of those periods. Um, And uh, really, like I said, focus on having consistent laps, being kind to the volunteers. I had like warm fed and moving is like my, like, I just need to, you know, Mm. not stop moving because it's going to be single digits out there. Um, so yeah, I just, it's all about the process, like wanting to stay even and not, you know, burn out early and have that energy left at the end. So I think that's been a huge shift for me. I mean, I think when I first started, it was like, yeah, really about the numbers and like, now, I, you know, the process oriented goals are the things that we can control. Like why set myself up to, why attach myself to some goal where like, you know, if I was aiming for a hundred miles and I get the 98 miles, was that not a good night? If I like, you know, was really cruising all night and doing what I need to do and eating and on top of my thing, like, I don't want to then feel disappointed because I didn't hit those extra two miles. And so just shifting like my expectations and how I define success and the success is really like the work that I'm doing, not like the number I'm hitting. Totally. And like, you might have an amazing day and be super capable of going like beyond that goal, right? Like, let's say your goal is to run like 80 miles or whatever. When you hit that 80th mile, you're still feeling good. Are you done? No. Like saying I want to, my goal was always to be warm, fed and moving will allow you to accelerate past any sort of arbitrary cap on performance as well. And again, I think focusing on like, Oh, am I warm? Like, what can I do to say warm, fed and moving is again, like, those are all the things that would facilitate the strongest outcome possible, regardless of what actually ends up happening. Oh man, you guys really just nailed it right there. Um, if I had a feature to like stop, rewind and just repeat like the last like 10 sentences that you each said, just so everybody could get it one more time. Um, I would totally do that. Um, amazing. Again, uh, something that we hadn't mentioned 
process-oriented goals are the, the things that we can control. And we know that when things are tough, controlling the controllables, that is really ideal. And just knowing what you can control, being flexible and open about the other stuff, um, often that leads to more um, favorable outcomes, I think, for everybody. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about this stuff. Um, that's all the time we have for today. But if you guys have any no, additional questions about process-oriented goals, if you feel like we um, have more to explore on this topic, we can definitely continue to address this next week. Send us an email. Let us know. Thanks, everybody. Good luck, Sarah. Yay! Thank you. And you guys helped me reach my goals. So I appreciate you all. Thanks for those donations. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. This is great. Welcome job, to our guys. telethon. <laughs> <Thank> you, everybody. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, Kristen. Bye, Kylie.